It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes, instead of a Clark Rageous moment, we're going to do sizzling deals for you. And coming up yet later, I have new, really important information for you. If you are someone who went to college and you are a teacher, a firefighter, police officer, any form of public service worker, and you should be eligible for student loan forgiveness, I have new updated information for you that's especially relevant if you've been turned down for public service work, federal loan forgiveness, I've got new important information for you to act on. Clark.com is our website and ClarkDeals.com is our bargain site if you want to see what kind of deals are popping up throughout the day, the week, daytime, nighttime, Saturday too. We do all that for you and Sundays, every day of the year but Christmas. So there have been these unbelievable stories coming out about people dying from their prescriptions being filled with the wrong pills. And this is something that was a very occasional problem, but apparently has become a very common one as more and more volume for prescriptions is filled by a very small number of players who are alleged to be putting their pharmacists under quotas of how many prescriptions they have to fill per shift that are beyond a level that can be safely prescribed. And most recently, there was a series of investigative reports in the New York Times about the pressure that pharmacists are under at the major chains to fill prescriptions and the resulting errors. Now, there was a, another report recently that a million and a half people in the last year had some kind of adverse consequence from their prescriptions being filled wrong. So this is obviously an area where the oversight by state pharmacy boards has failed. The pressures from the marketplace being applied to pharmacists is creating potential unsafe conditions. And you and I who take prescription drugs or we fill a prescription for our kids, I mean, this is terrible that something that you're getting to help you could be hurting you. So there are some simple things you should do that it, they're just absolutely routine that should be part of the process. And one of them is something almost no one does, but it's something that I learned from a pharmacist. This is crazy. I learned this from a pharmacist back in the 1970s that, uh, and this was before all the corporate pressures and all that. He said, remember, pharmacists are human. Always look at the prescription before you leave the store. And so that's what I do is I tear open the bag that they've just stapled and I look at them 
to make sure I have the right thing. Now, how would you know it's the right thing? Well, a lot of times you'll recognize the, the shape and size of the pill. And some pharmacies put in the packaging what the shape and size of the pill should be, what it should look like. But if you've been taking a maintenance med, you'll usually know. I have a med that went off patent that I take, and it seems every time I fill it, the pills look different now that it's actually produced by different pharmacy, different pharmaceutical companies. And so I have to be extra careful verifying that it is the right med. The other thing is look at the name of the prescription on the label because a lot of drugs have similar names. And a pharmacist being overworked could mistakenly take one uh, 12-letter long prescription drug that starts with, let's say, the letter M and put in another 12-letter long prescription drug that begins with the letter M and the wrong one goes in. And I know every pharmacy chain claims that they have systems in place to prevent this. If that was true, why are so many prescriptions being filled wrong? And there are lots of whistleblowers in the pharmacy chains who put their careers at risk talking about the problems with this. So you and I can't solve the problem of state pharmacy boards being corrupted by the major chains. You and I can't fix the pharmacists being under too much pressure with quotas to fill too many drugs in a shift. What you and I can do is we can make sure that the medicines that are in the prescription are as best we can determine the right one. And if you can't figure it out, this is why you open them before you leave the store. As you go back to the pharmacy counter and you go to the HIPAA window that says uh, pharmacy consulting or whatever it says, and then you talk to the pharmacist and say, hey, you know, this doesn't look like what this med has looked like when I've taken it in the past. Do you mind verifying this is the right thing? And let me tell you, if they have made a mistake, they'll really appreciate it that you've been back there and they have an opportunity to correct it, or they may put your mind at ease that, well, that's being filled by a different uh, manufacturer and that's why it looks different or whatever. Just take the steps to protect your health or your family's health. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jason. Hey, Clark, how's it going? Great, thank you, Jason. You're moving. Well, not quite yet. Currently, I'm in New York, coincidentally, newly married, and my wife is up here for pharmacy school, so kind of that ties in. Oh, wow, uh, so you're going to freak her out with what I was talking about, aren't you? I know. Um, We're looking to move in about roughly a year and a half to two years, and what I'm trying to figure out now is things I can do proactively to put us in a better position to when we want to buy a house beyond just, you know, saving for a down payment and trying to make my credit better. Um, I've never bought a house before, so it's kind of a new experience and I'm just looking to be proactive as much as I can and wondering if you have any tips or advice on things that can help. I sure do. And you know, it's fantastic. You're asking me two years out instead of asking me two months out. 
because you've got time to do all these things. Do you have a reason to doubt that your credit is good? Uh, I mean, right now it's not. I mean, it's like the high 600s, and my wife's is in the 700s, so I'm hoping we'll have it higher by then. And she Um, married you anyway, even though your credit score was lower? I don't know. Well, that's why I'm trying to get uh, better at everything because I feel like she's much better than I am, and I gotta, I gotta keep up. Gotta with her, catch you know? up with her. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard me talk about credit karma or credit sesame? Yeah, I am on credit karma, and I just signed up for credit sesame the other day, but I haven't jumped into it too much. Okay, so what they'll help you do, and uh, credit karma in particular does a great job of coaching you continually what you need to do to get that score higher. Okay. And so you should set a goal that's going to be a stretch goal if you're in the upper sixes, but you got a year and a half to two years to make it happen. Your goal is to get your credit score to 760. Okay. And Credit Karma will take you through where your score is being pinched and where you have room to grow that score higher. So the two factors that account for two-thirds of your score are number one, that you pay every bill every month on time, and second, that you use very little of your available credit. Perfect. I'm doing both of those right now. So, so do you have about the last year and a half. Do you have some late pays from years ago that are what have dragged you down in the 600s? Um, long story short, the, the big thing that's messing me up is I had a deferred student loan payment, and this is 100% my fault. Um, I didn't realize that I had to renew that after a year. So when that year ended, I got hit with a late fee for all of the student loans, which I then cleared up, and it's all current now, and every month is paid in, you know, on time. However, there was the four different loans had that late payment because I just, and again, it's 100% my fault. But yeah, I just uh, was being stop beating yourself up. Stop beating yeah. yourself up because you're you're totally attacking it straight on. You're honest about what happened. And time is your best friend. As time marches forward and you keep paying everything on time and you keep your utilization low, those items that were late pays are going to be less and less significant. Where they impact you the most early on, they mean less and less with time. So yeah, about two years. So. Yeah, so give them, as you put those more and more in the rearview mirror, they will mean less and less and you'll comfortably get into the sevens. Now, the other thing you mentioned, and that is down payment, you want to try to set a goal based on housing costs where you're intending to move, if you know where that is. You want to have a goal of saving 12.5% of what that that home price is going to be. So if the home price is... Uh, $200,000, you need to save 25000 And what that does is that gives you enough to hit 10% down plus pay the costs you have in securing your loan. Okay. And if I'm able to do more than that, say I can go 15 18% down, that's going to get me a better interest rate? Is that kind of how that works? And you also will easily be able to avoid private mortgage insurance. So okay. I love it. You set the bar much higher than I was. 
Because yeah, that's kind of what we're doing now is trying to save as much as we can. Because once we move, and we're, now we're in New York, which is really expensive, but we're moving back to North Carolina, which is significantly cheaper. So sure. And so if you can manage to save a substantial amount of money each month with one of you in school and the other uh, providing for the living costs in ultra high cost New York, and you're still living so far below your means, you're able to save that money, you're going to be in great shape. So good for you. Rihanna's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Wonderful, thank you. How can I be of service to you today? Well, I am trying to save for a down payment, and I was wondering what is the best way to maximize that? Where should I be putting this money? Um, I was leaning towards an index fund because it just seems like Traditional savings accounts or CDs might be too conservative. I have some flexibility of when I'm looking to buy, maybe in the next five to eight years. So five to eight years is a very interesting window because an index fund has significant risk for you in the shorter term, has much less risk outside of 10 years, but is something that would create a level of risk that may not make you feel comfortable over a window of five to eight years. So what I would suggest to you is half a loaf, that if your goal is to spend this money in five to eight years, that you do half of it into a straight like total stock market index fund or something, uh, you know, cousin to that, and the other half into the boring savings account or cd at an online bank okay because that way you mitigate some of the risk historically people would say in the situation you described that you would go into what's known as a balanced index fund where you'd be a mix of stocks and bonds but Mm -hmm. bonds and stocks have uh they have risk together now where they used to have risk where one balanced the other And right now, that's not as true. And that's why I like the idea of you accepting the puny return on half the money you're putting aside in savings or CDs and the other half into the index fund. So you reduce the risk of a down market. You also reduce what you get in an up market, but you don't want to take on 100% risk with the time window you've got. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So do you, um, do you know ask, how to find those best rates online? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I know that you have posted uh, several articles on your website about them too. Great. And you said you had a follow on question. Yes. So I'm also a federal employee. So I have a thrift savings plan. And so one idea that I had, if I wanted to put all of the money in an index fund would be taking out a TSP loan. And then using the index fund down the road, maybe when it, the market is doing better in 10 years or even further to pay that back. Is that something that you would recommend or it would be safer to? I, I don't balance? like people using uh, 401k money or TSP money as like a piggy bank for a loan, even for a home. But it's common that people do it. I think that what happens is when you do that, it's really easy in the future to say, well, this is an exception too. I'd like to borrow against it. And I'd rather you 
uh, compartmentalize your money, even if it might be slightly more efficient to borrow from the TSP. I'd rather you leave the TSP for its intended purpose, and you're lucky to have TSP, to build money for your long-term financial security and retirement and save the money outside of that for the purpose of buying a home. There are others that might disagree with that, but that's where I feel the most comfortable. You know, a lot of parts of the country are seeing cold weather right now, other parts not, but the reality is manufacturers of clothing and retailers are all in full mode of clearance sales on winter goods. If you want any level from lightweight cold weather gear to very heavyweight, this is the week that you should start looking for the great, great deals for that stuff being cleared out. Save your money. Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are our websites. And if you're into deals, you know, Clark Deals has a daily newsletter for you where we bring right to your end basket the best deals on stuff you might want to buy that you aren't going to know about, likely, without our newsletter or our website. Here's something that has stayed below the radar that is very important for so many people to know. If you have a family member or friend who has student loans, you yourself do. There's been a scandal that has rocked the U.S. Department of Education where they failed to honor the law on forgiving student loans for police officers, firefighters, teachers, and others that work in nonprofit or service capacities. And they were using technicalities to not provide loan forgiveness. Just so you know, people who work in certain professions serving the public are allowed to have student loan forgiveness for federal student loans after 10 years of on-time payments. And only federal loans, no private count. And the rules to do it weren't even written, only in part, by the way, till years after the 10-year clock had started for many people. And then the rules were drawn in a way that was so technical that over 99% of people who had in good faith paid their 120 payments who work in these public service capacities had their loan forgiveness denied. And that has caused such an uproar that now the Department of Education has published new rules that will allow roughly three-quarters of people that were declined to now have their loan forgiveness. So this has been kept so quiet, I can't believe it. So I want you to spread the word. If you know someone who went to college who teaches or is a police officer, a firefighter, any kind of public service work, that they know that the program is now much more functional. And if you got discouraged 
after you were declined, you may, in fact, now qualify for forgiveness where you did not before. There's a special program that was passed by Congress called TEPSLF. Who comes up with something other than the government, right? Anyway, it's how a lot of people are going to qualify for loan forgiveness, even if there were certain paperwork problems, but they'd made the payments. And I just want you to know that you should not give up. And I thank you for your service to our community. If you are, in fact, a public safety worker, you are a teacher, or other forms of public service work where you have chosen to either put yourself in harm's way or earn a smaller paycheck or both to serve your community, your state, or your country. And this was a promise made to you. It's a promise that should be kept. Tara is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how are you doing? I'm fine, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You are thinking of opening your own business. Yes, I am. Um, it seems like the right time to to do it um, right now. And so I was thinking about opening my own business. And um, I noticed the franchise model seems to be something for somebody that's a, a novice in the in the business field. So I wanted to um, reach out. I thought I felt like I wanted to reach out to you because I, I you know, listen to you quite often and have been listening for a while now. And you've given me some good advice in the in the past. So I wonder what Clark thinks about this, about the franchise business model. So a franchise business model can be a very successful business model for you potentially. And there is one particular advantage that a franchise business model may have over you opening an independent retail business or whatever kind of business it is. And that many times a franchise model business, you will be able to sell when you decide you don't want to be in it anymore, where it's more difficult to sell if it's your own business only and somebody's buying a business that's completely wrapped around your personality. But the question I have for you, and this is true for anybody considering a franchise, do you have a specific type of business in mind? What kind of industry? I was looking at. I was thinking about something in the food industry because I looked at several of them, and some of them just seemed like they weren't legitimate. But I was thinking of something in the food industry, or either the health industry. I know. Right, so that, you're um, you're an open book on this. You don't really know exactly what seems the right thing to you yet. No, I don't. But from the ones that I've looked into, I know that I have a price range that, you you know, you have to qualify because the first question they ask you is, you know, how much is your um, how much do you have in your net worth, the net income, like how much you have um, as far as your credit score and your net income. And I know that there are some that I don't qualify. Like I can't open up a McDonald's franchise, <laughs> but. The other ones, the smaller ones, the mid mid range ones, um, I can I do qualify for. And so I was looking at something in the food industry or like um, healthcare, like something like a chiropractor or 
cryotherapy is one that I was interested in. All right. And those are fields you are trained in or no? I am not trained in any of them. Okay. All right. So this would be true if we were talking about a franchise or not. When you are going to run your own business, it's got to be something that you are knowledgeable about and have experience in. Okay. If you're going to clean sheet something, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be maybe sound weird to you, but as an example, let's say there's a particular uh, restaurant concept you're interested in. Yeah. Just for argument's sake. I would want you, without ever talking to anybody about having a franchise or anything like that, go work for one of that okay. exact franchise. Go work for one doing anything. Working okay. in the kitchen, doing deliveries, taking orders. I don't care what it would be. Because where you're really going to learn whether that's a business you want to be in is not from their brochures, not from their sales presentations, not from anything other than seeing what it's really like day to day. And is it something you want to do before you put your money and your time and life at risk? You want to see what's it like actually being there and also learn things where you make mistakes on somebody else's money instead of when you're doing it with your own. Because any seller of a franchise is going to tell you every wonderful scenario and story they can think of. But you need to know what it's really like. And that's why you go work for one. Okay, that that sounds good. But your greatest opportunity running your own business is drawing on knowledge, experience, training, and education you already have. Something that relates to what you know. Okay. And and another thing that made me hesitant is the royalty fees and the fran- the, the franchise fees and the royalty fees. They yeah, but that's like how theirs. that, I mean, that's the idea of the brand name. The brand name's got to mean something to people to make it worth it for you to pay those ongoing percents of sales or however they're calculated. And in addition to that, you have to get meaningful support from the franchise company itself to make it worth paying those fees. So there's two sides to that. And again, you would know if you were working in one just as a grunt, you know, just working in one as a regular old employee. And typically, you will know in a month if you actually have any interest in that business. And in six months, you'll know enough to be able to decide that it's a go for you. Okay, that sounds great. Um, Yeah, because some of the companies I reached out to, they're like, let's go do it. Let's do it now. We'll train you. Let's get started on this. Don't don't believe any of that. That is all bologna. Even if you don't sell bologna in the restaurant, you would, oh. (laughs) But it is all bologna because... The whole, oh, yeah, we'll train you. You'll be set, and you're going to be hitting these kind of number targets and all that. They'll say anything to get you to sign for that franchise. But what really matters is you knowing, is it for you, and is that particular operator any good? Steven's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Steven. Hey, Clark. Thanks for taking the call and for all you and your staff do for so many people. Certainly, and I'm I'm glad to have your question because you're trying to help your kids. 
Yeah, I've got two two daughters. Um, they're kind of, I guess, they're not here, so I can uh, say probably in a, around middle age. But, uh, <laughs> 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 so let's just say we're looking at the 40-year 40, 40 age. Uh, yeah, got it. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, they are both uh, contribute to their employers, 403s and 401ks and, and that kind of thing. But I'm thinking that uh, they will probably need just a little bit more help when retirement actually comes. So I'm um, thinking about um, opening a uh, joint account with each of them in a targeted uh, retirement fund uh, so I can contribute easily and and do so as a match for them contributing. Um, okay, you can make this just, a whole lot easier for you and them. Okay. You are allowed to give any other human being, anybody, fifteen thousand up to $15,000 each year is a complete non-tax event. No tax uh, for you, no tax for them. It's just a straight gift you're able to do. So each of them are allowed to do $6,000 a year into a Roth IRA, Mm -hmm. and you could offer them a match. I call it the daddy match, and I do it with my kids. And so I'm like the employer with the 401k who gives so much money as a match, I do it with my kids that if they do a Roth, that I'll put up a dollar for every dollar they put up. And it's something that is I'm excited about because it gets them in the habit of living on less than what they make and saving money. And it means that they will have a much more comfortable retirement because they've been incentivized right. through the years to put that money aside. And if you right. do if you do that as an offer to your daughters, and they come up with the three thousand each each year, and you come up with the other three thousand. The long term benefit of the the money you've given them and the money they contribute is massive down the road. Mm-hmm. So you can figure that the money they they would put in in their forties will double at least twice. So it'd be four times what it started out with today. If they invest in like a target retirement fund today, by the time they'd be drawing the money, every dollar put in would likely be four dollars. Right, and um, of course that goes in. That goes in before um, after tax. After tax, so so it's never taxed no tax again. Implications there, yeah, right, that's great, right. Yeah. So that would be a place you could have big impact for them, and has no tax issues for any of you. That sounds good. And you know, if they and here's the thing, if if one of your daughters says, Dad, that's really nice, I just can't do it, then you've made the offer and they they miss the opportunity, but who wouldn't want to instantly double their money? Right. Right. So I it's something that I'm so biased on this because it's something I've always done with my kids that I just think it's it's a great thing if a parent can afford to do it to do it and you're of a mind to do so that hopefully they will both grab that opportunity and build that long-term financial security thanks to your challenge and generosity in combination stephanie's with us on the clark howard show hi stephanie hi clark how are you 
Great. Thank you, Stephanie. You have a problem, uh, a question about being a traveler and seeing people go through these special doors at the airport. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I travel domestically maybe five or six times a year and then internationally, sometimes one or two times a year. And I would really love a way to inexpensively get access to all those really comfortable lounges at the airport. I was wondering if there's a way to do that. So there is not a way inexpensively to do it. Um, there are credit cards that will get you access through something known as Priority Pass, mm-hmm. where you, depending on what card you get, you and uh, potentially you and two friends can enter the lounges for free. But the problem oh, okay. is the cards that you can use, the two most prominent, have extremely high annual fees. They're both, um, yeah. are you sitting or standing? I'm standing. <laughs> 550 bucks. Hold on. Yeah. Be careful. <laughs> uh, one is the Chase Sapphire Reserve, is that what it's called? And the other is the American Express Platinum. Platinum, yeah. And the, I, I did look at those, and that's, that's what I found. And I was like, ooh, that's a little too much for me. Right. So those only work if there are other things that come with it, like the American Express you get um, Uber credit per year of, was it, $200 a year of free Uber? And um, trying to think what else you get. You get, they pay for you to have the pre check or global entry. Mm-hmm. And they throw in some stuff that makes you think you're not spending the 550 but <laughs> you really are. And right. then the, the Chase one also. So, the alternative is you can pay for access per visit. And depending on the lounge, and go look at Priority Pass, depending on the lounge, you might be spending um, maybe 25 to $35 a visit. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. So um, the one that I would look at, there's more than one. There's Priority Pass and there's... Uh, another one called Lounge Buddy. Okay. And see what they offer and see if any of any of the things they offer would be where you'd say, okay, I can do that. I can spend that money. That'll be worth doing. Um, okay, that, that makes sense. And the advantage of these is if they're available where you tend to fly, so it doesn't matter who you're flying on, you can get access to the lounge where with the airline's own lounges – You typically have to be flying them same day to enter. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.